Hello, hello and welcome. Welcome to this Monday catch-up edition of Atlas Information Live. And uh, to all of you, we want to wish you a very happy Valentine's Day filled with love on this, the feast day of Valentinius, that great saint of love. And uh, we may indeed dedicate a live stream to Valentinius and to the topic of love. We certainly will at some point in the near future. We thought about doing it today on Valentine's Day, but then we realized we would we would fall behind in our catch-up series. So we'll have to do we'll have to do it on a Wednesday or Friday, and then we do a catch-up version of it on the on the following Monday. Lucy or Luce says hello, hi, hi, hello, welcome. Glad you could be here. We're going to uh, motor right along because we have a lot of material to cover today. Both Wednesday and Friday sessions last week ran, well, over three hours. So uh, they're big topics, and we prepared slides and the whole shebang. So um, we're going to begin by, well, both topics we covered last week on Wednesday and Friday are related. And as we work through the first set of slides from Wednesday, it'll become clear in the process of going through the discussion about uh, prana, pranayama, the runes, and working with our energy, that the importance of sound in relation to that will become clear. But because these different aspects, they're far too dense, they're far too large in scope to be able to cover all at once. So this is our way of taking related topics and breaking them up so that we can still address them in a deep and meaningful way uh, and that each practice, each session builds on the previous one. As you probably gathered, the last few sessions have been about the core practices. And each time we do a live stream, each time we cover a topic, it builds on the previous topics. And all of the practices are interrelated. They're all connected. So as we go through exploring in deeper levels, the practices and the significance of the practices, we uncover these <clears throat> underlying connective tissue that holds everything together, binds everything together. So without further ado then, <clears throat> prana is a Sanskrit word, and it means, among other things, the breath of life, breath, filled, old, full, ancient, spirit, vitality, energy, wind, spirit, respiration, spirit identified with the totality of dreaming spirits, poetical inspiration, vigor, life, power, 
air inhaled, a vital organ, vital air, and myrrh. So <clears throat> when we think about prana, we're considering a word that is very pregnant with meaning. And all of these various definitions are all interrelated, interconnected in some way. And that will begin to become more clear as we go through the, the material. Prana is the sum total of all energy that is manifest in the universe. It is the sum total of all the forces in nature. It is the sum total of all latent forces and powers which are hidden in men and women and which lie everywhere around us. Heat, light, electricity, magnetism are the manifestations of prana. Whatever moves or works or has life is but an expression of manifestation of prana. The prana is related to mind and through mind to will and through will to the individual soul and through this to the supreme being. If you know how to control the little waves of prana working through your mind, then the secret of subjugating universal prana will be known to you. It's a quote from Swami Sivananda. The implication of this quote is that prana is far more than what we typically give it credit for, what we typically think of. Typically, prana is associated with the fourth dimension, electrical energy, chi, the vital body, or sexual energy. And indeed, it is all that. But <clears throat> there is prana on every dimension, on every level of manifestation. And to be able to master one's nature, to become a master, means to be able to work with the prana and to be a master of prana in all the levels of one's being. Well, we're going to... Uh, so the following is a diagram uh, from a uh, Tibetan medical treatise. And it shows the, the subtle channels, the nadis or uh, meridians of prana in the body. This is according to uh, Tibetan medicine. But of course, we have the Chinese system. And the, uh, the Chinese work with uh, what they call meridians. And it's basically the same. We're looking at two versions of the same thing. And in Chinese medicine, uh, qi is uh, of paramount importance. And the various different traditions, including acupuncture and acupressure, work very much working with these uh, with these meridians, these channels. The chakras are intimately connected to prana. 
we mentioned that prana exists more than just in the fourth dimension. Anywhere two nadis or two meridians meet, you get a chakra. We have far more chakras in the body than just the seven primary chakras that we are uh, visualizing here. And what, well, we'll just read this from uh, uh, the Gnostic instructor. Anywhere a nadi meets another nadi, that spot is called a chakra. A chakra is a conduit, a transformer of energy from one dimension to another. They are points of connection to all the parts of the soul. A chakra is like a vortex. It is like an electrical transformer that takes energy, uses it, changes it, and transmits it. Chakra is a Sanskrit word which means wheel. The meaning is like a gear or, or a water wheel, something that turns and transmits. It is something that moves because of energy. The body, whether physical, vital, astral, mental, or causal, has many chakras. The implication here is that typically when we think about chakras, we think about these energetic vortices, perhaps, that if we do the correct mantra, the correct vowel sound, they get put into activity. They start to spin. They, they, they open and they, they, they spin. But the reality is that these are just conduits. These are connective portals from one dimension to another. So the prana can flow from one aspect of our metaphysical being to another. And as mundane as it may seem, a chakra rotates, a chakra spins when energy flows through it, when it becomes open and the energy, the prana can flow through it. Prana can only flow one way through a portal. And if you want to visualize and see how that is, go into your washroom and flush the toilet. If you have one of those old, older fashioned toilets where it the water spins around and around and around and around and around before it goes down. Now you know why chakras spin. If the energy isn't flowing, the chakra isn't spinning. If the chakra isn't activated, it won't open and the energy won't be able to flow and the, and the vortex won't be activated. That's what a chakra is. That's all a chakra is. But in the process of going through from one dimension to another, that energy is transformed. From a lower dimension to a higher dimension, it's transformed into a subtle version of itself. And from a higher dimension to a lower dimension, it becomes a denser, more crystallized version of itself. We often say that 
mysticism and esotericism is actually quite mundane. It's, it's made out to be some sort of supernatural something or other, but it's really quite scientific. And it's really analogous to many run-of-the-mill mundane aspects of our life, as above, so below. And when we strip away some of the uh, supernatural superstition and we get right down to the essence of what we're dealing with, it's number one, it's humbling. And number two, it, it puts it within reach. It's not out there somewhere, some, some fantastical something or other. First of all, it's inside of us. It's not, nothing is out there anyway. Everything is inside of us. That's number one. And number two, if we can appreciate the working with prana in a simple way, a straightforward way, then we can eliminate some of the extraneous thought and energy and anxiety and neuroses which may exist around some of these practices because they seem complex or complicated or this or that or whatever. It's, it's If we keep it simple, we can relax and focus and realize, okay, to open my chakras, to put them into activity, I just need to make the prana flow through that chakra. Simple way to do so, relax, concentrate, visualize, vocalize, mantralize, and, and we're working. We're working, things are working the way they should. Let's continue. So prana, of course, is related to sex because it's related to the sexual force. And in the book of Genesis, we, of course, read about Adam and Eve. Now, in there is a relationship between Adam and Eve and humanity. That is true. But generally, Adam and Eve are symbolic. They're symbols. Genesis is a, a allegory of Kabbalah, mostly. And in our anatomy, Adam is the brain and Eve is in the sexual organs. And between them, we have the spinal column. Now, the spinal column is represented as many different things. Jacob's ladder, Dante's ladder. We have the 33 degrees of masonry representing the 33 vertebrae. And that spinal column is how Eve and Adam can be reunited. Specifically, it is Eve that must 
rise up the spinal column to atom in the brain. That risen Eve is represented by the Pentecostal fire of the apostles. When Eve is raised, they receive the uh, they receive the Holy Spirit, and Eve is raised to the crown chakra. Then, and it ignites tongues of flame above the apostles' head. But Adam and Eve also represent the energetic channels of Ida and Pingala. We take the energy into both nostrils that connect to those conduits of energy. In the male, the left nostril is related with Ida, the moon channel. And in the female, the left nostril is related to Pingala, the solar channel. In the male, the right nostril is related with Pingala, the solar channel. And the left nostril, the female, is Ida, the lunar channel. Through each breath, we are drawing energy in relation to those two channels, in relation to those two lungs, in relation to the two ovaries, and in relation to the two testicles. Each channel, each nadi, connects to the opposite testicle or ovary. In the male, ida, the left nostril, connects to the right testicle, while the female, it is the opposite. Ida, the right nostril, connects to the left ovary. These are the primary energetic channels, again, related to Adam and Eve, Ida and Pingala, masculine and feminine, within us, and they encircle about the spinal column. And these are, of course, represented in the caduceus of Mercury, also known as the Staff of Hermes. And they are shown as two serpents intertwined around a rod. That cent central rod should also be a serpent, but it's generally shown as a, as a staff or a stick, and it represents the spinal column. But the reason why it should be a serpent is because in the spinal column we have uh, the Shushumna canal, which is actually how Eve rises. Well, we'll get to that. Because the next relationship is between pranayama and tantra. Prana is the energy, right? The, the wind, the breath, the life force. Yama means stopping, effort, and lengthening. Pranayama, then, means wind stopping or wind lengthening. It can also be translated as harnessing the winds. Normally, pranayama is translated as breath control. But as you can see here, that is not an accurate translation. Because there, it's very specific what pranayama means. It means stopping the wind. 
and lengthening the wind and harnessing the wind. Now, a way to visualize this or think about this is think about a sailboat. Think about how a sail unfurls and how it harnesses the wind or how a water wheel or a windmill harnesses the wind. In past live streams, we've talked about baffles and baffling and how an obstacle causes water to become energized and alive. A baffle causes the water to swirl like a vortex. And interestingly, a chakra opening up a conduit, right? Like when you flush a toilet, in interesting how the water doesn't go straight down. The water swirls around and around and around and around and around and around and around. That's lengthening the distance that it travels. And it's creating a spiral vortex. It's putting the chakra into activity. Once the conduit is open, the water swirls around. It's, all of these um, attributes that we can witness here in the physical plane are analogous. It's the same thing that's happening with wind when, when air goes into spiral vortices, we call them tornadoes or cyclones. But that's very difficult for us to observe, generally speaking. It's far more problematic to, to, for, for, to begin, seeing air is problematic to begin with. And in order to see a cyclone or a tornado, uh, it has its problems associated with that. Even if you're a tornado hunter, you're not without your uh, challenges there. So, but we can observe water very easily. And the same principles apply. They are analogous. Because even though prana is the wind and it's associated with the breath, it is also associated with the sexual force. And because it's associated with the sexual force, a fire, but those are the fires in the water, the sexual waters. So prana is also associated with the waters. And the fluidity and the dynamism of water is analogous to prana. Prana and water both flow. Energy flows. So when we think about harnessing the winds and stopping and lengthening, it's all related to, as again, as we said, like unfurling a sail and it stops the wind, the sail stops the wind and the wind pushes against the sail. And that's how we harness the energy by stopping the wind. And then when we release it, right, we, it, we lengthen it 
because the wind spirals like the water going down a toilet bowl goes around and around creates a vortex and it lengthens and if you know anything about walter russell and the uh, physics of 4d vortex science you can really dig into the practical applications of this for example how brook trout harness the flow of water by creating a negative vortex in front of them what they do is they open their mouth and they they allow the water to flow into their mouth and out their gills and down across their body but they can regulate the flow by by changing this the size and shape of their mouth so that changes the vortex in front of them just like if you had a dynamic uh, opening at the bottom of the sink or the bottom of the toilet bowl when you flushed and you made it smaller you made it bigger you could make that vortex of water bigger or smaller and based on that you could make that vortex spiral faster or slower and if you if you do this in the context of underwater in a river against the flow of water and you create a negative vortex a vortex of negative pressure in front of you that creates this negative pressure that holds you in place against the flow and this is how brook trout hold their position against a rushing river and then all of a sudden they can appear to rocket upstream how do they do that well we just described it they're harnessing the flow they're creating a vortex they are controlling they are stopping and lengthening the flow of water They are, they are stopping it to a degree, so they're restricting the flow. And they're lengthening the flow by causing it to swirl around them as it goes through that restricted opening. That creates that negative vortex. This, by the way, is how UFOs fly and how they appear to be able to make uh, movements that are beyond the laws of physics and how they they appear to be able to have unbelievable acceleration even in the even in the general laws of motion we know that it's easier to pull things than it is to push things so what a uh, a ufo craft will do is will create a negative vortex in the flow of the electromagnetic stream of the planet or it will create its own electromagnetic field and as that, that flow around the craft uh, flows, it will create a vortex. And then it, it'll create a negative vortex in the direction that it wants to go. And then it'll just, be, it'll just get rocketed in that direction. So the practical applications of pranayama, of wind stopping, wind lengthening, regulating the flow of energy 
and being able to harness the power of that energy has this is it's like swami sivananda said if you can figure out how to do this in your mind and control the prana in your mind then the way to control prana on all the levels of the universe will be will be open to you and that's in many ways what walter russell was doing as he was meditating on all this and he discovered his what came to him in meditation was his 4d vortex science now it's a crude cruder expression it's not a it's not a purely secular expression that that would be inappropriate to say but what it is is a practical meaningful way to work with prana in in the field of physics we are talking about something infinitely practical here we're not talking about any, you know we're not talking about anything so supernatural and superstitious that it's that it's that it's beyond our 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 understanding appreciation or engagement we are prana we are that pranayama oh so the, the next we have the connection between prana and kundalini Pranayama is about harnessing energy. The energy that we are trying to activate is the energy in the central column. It is to take the energy from the other nadis, especially the energy from the sexual organs, and move it into the central column, into shushumna. That energy is called kundalini. Also in Tibetan tantras, in Sanskrit is called Kandali. In the six yogas of Naropa, it is called Dumo. In Kabbalah, it is called Shekinah. This energy is the Divine Mother herself. Well, let's continue here. Kundalini is Sanskrit and comes from the word kundala, which means coiled. This is because that power is coiled up at the base of the spine in the chakra muladhara. It is latent, dormant, awaiting the moment it is activated. To awaken the kundalini and raise up the spine, as in initiation, cannot be done by a single person. It can only be done by a couple, a man and a woman, who work together. Only a man and a woman can give birth, whether physically or spiritually. This is why all the religions hide the secret of sexual magic, scientific chastity, the way to create the soul through sexual transmutation. There is a lot of misconception out there. And a lot of people have uh, a belief that they have awakened their kundalini. Uh, this is simply not the case. This is simply untrue. And a lot of schools of Tantra, they, 
a lot of uh, yogic practices and so on, they will work with prana and they will teach pranayama and they'll teach various breathing exercises and various yogic exercises and they will claim that what's happening is the kundalini is awakening, but it isn't. They're working with prana and they might be doing whatever it is that they're doing, but they're, uh, they're not awakening their kundalini. Because for starters, kundalini is not a mechanical force. Kundalini is the Avalokiteshvara. It's the Okidanak. It is the ray of creation. It is Christ. It's just the, the feminine aspect that we call kundalini that is latent inside of us. But it is the force of creation. It is the power of creation that resides in every atom and in every cell of our being and in every atom in the universe. And when we talk about an individual that have their kundalini awakened, that means they have access to that power. Now, that power is the power of a saint, the power of a resurrected master, a bodhisattva, one who can... So when, when we read in the Bible, Jesus healing the sick or raising the dead or walking on water or... Um, any number of miracles being performed, those individuals are using the kundalini to perform those miracles. And the power, that power of creation is only granted to those who have earned it, who have devoted and dedicated themselves and who have eliminated their ego. So having a kundalini awakening, meaning a spark of kundalini, a momentarily awakening that allows us to have, for example, spiritual experiences, it allows us to have shamadi in meditation or experience a shamadi by while performing pranayama shamadi means ecstasy insight moment of clarity a moment of being touched by the divine and being shown something something of tremendous value of importance of profundity and the the having that moment momentary connection with our inner divinity is what is what causes that that ecstasy someone who has awakened their kundalini experiences that ecstasy all the time their life is a shamadi they they have that power available to them 
but that's the that's the creative power of the universe now if you have children or you look after children you take care of children do you give power to children who misbehave do you give do you give uh, uh, young children the car keys here are the car keys. Go, go and have fun. Go, go, be back, be back in time for dinner. Right? Do you let children go into the kitchen and, depending on their age, do you break out the uh, the extra sharp knives, and you and you and the and the stove and everything and say, okay, now, go ahead, bake bake some cookies. I'm going off to the store. Do you leave them unsupervised? Do you give them access to instruments of power? If you're a good and responsible parent, you, of course, do not. Because they're children and they don't know what they're doing. They might think they know what they're doing, but they don't. We are, we are children. We are like that when it comes to Kundalini. When it comes to the power of Christ, we are infants. The idea that we are not is mystic pride. It's holy mystic pride. It is a delusion. So we can have moments, sparks of Kundalini awakening by working with prana, by working with sexual transmutation, by working in meditation by working with mantra, by working with all the practices that we'll be talking about today. But that doesn't mean that your kundalini is awake. And anybody who believes that, they're just delusional. They're just delusional. doesn't matter what experiences that they're having or think they've had or what they've been told or who told them. It's a lie. It's a flat-out lie. Okay. Pranayama and breath. The relationship between them. The regulation of breath is the stoppage of inhalation and exhalation. That comes from Pantajali. Pranayama is not, as many think, concerned solely with the breath. Breath, indeed, has very little to do with it. Breathing is only one of the many exercises through which we get to the real pranayama. That quote comes from Vivekananda. There should be no strain in any stage of pranayama. And that's from Swami Sivananda. This aspect, well, we'll keep going here. There should be no strain in any stage in pranayama. A, a, um, a yogi measures the span of his life not by the number of years but by the number of his breaths okay so in yoga it's not the age it's the mileage and every time you take a breath you are shortening your life that's according to the yogic tradition so if you have seen uh in those black tantric schools where they how they they teach pranayama and they teach breathing 
exercises. <laughs> and, and you watch them and they're violently moving the breath and the energy through the body. And, and you can see videos about this. They, these black tantric schools will have a couple lying on the floor, uh, naked or close to naked, uh, practicing these heavy, fast, violent, prana, they call it pranayama breathing, they call it tantric breathing or whatever the hell they, they call it. And they actually teach the couple to uh, bring themselves to orgasm. using this, this violent breathing practice. This is exactly the opposite of how pranayama should be practiced. What you are doing there is you are charging up the voltage and you're sending 50,000 volts through the delicate, the most delicate channels in the body. The channels of prana are far more delicate, far more subtle and sublime than the nerves, than the nervous system. But rest assured, your nervous system is being overloaded. That's what leads to the, uh, the, the orgasmic reaction of the physical body. You actually induce an orgasm because you're overloading the system. You just, you just, and you're, it's, it's just all together an abuse. And the people who are practicing Tantra, Black Tantra in this way, with these, with this violent breathing, uh, they're, they're going to find themselves uh, aging prematurely because they're not harnessing, they're, especially if they're, if they're, using these heavy, violent, strained, intense breathing exercises to bring themselves to orgasm. Because then what they're doing is, yeah, they're harnessing all this energy and then blowing it out through the orgasm. They're releasing it in this explosion. And that's, of course, what all these black tantric schools uh, promise people for their money. That's what they're paying for, right? Is to have bigger longer, more intense orgasms. What they're really teaching you how to do is how to waste more and more and more of your precious energy and how to turn your divine mother into a whore, a whore of Babylon and the mother of demons because Black Tantra creates demons. Doesn't Black Tantra, orgasm cannot create an angel. Orgasm cannot create a god. Orgasm can only create another intellectual animal or a demon. That's all it can create. Because through the orgasm, the, the sexual force in the prana is negatively charged. And it crystallizes, it crystallizes the energies which are darker and denser and lower frequency. Right? You cannot create a God that way. You cannot create a superior, a, uh, bodies in the supernal worlds that way. You can only create entities in the infernal worlds. If you're taking the energy 
and lowering its frequency, doesn't matter what kind of physical sensation you experience while you're doing it, that's irrelevant. Doesn't matter what kind of, what kind of incredible orgasm you have, that's irrelevant. That does not tell you anything about the frequency and quality of the energy that you are wasting, that, that's being inverted and being utilized in a negative way by the egos, by lust specifically, which is a demon. And you're just creating more children of lust. That's what you're doing with that sexual force. Lust is fornicating with you for the express purpose of procreating itself, more versions of itself, its own kind. That's a parasite feeding off of your precious vital energy to reproduce. Like a tick or an intestinal worm or, or any type of parasite, even a mosquito. So when we're practicing pranayama, we need to relax. And we need to recognize that it's the prana that we're concerned with, not the breath. The breath is only the smallest part of it. Yes, the breath helps move the prana because that's where we are, where we are at at the beginning. But eventually, if you practice pranayama, for example, hamsa, which we'll get into, if you are relaxed, you may begin with the breath, but eventually you can even stop using the breath and stop using the mantras. You will breathe, but you won't be focusing on the breath. You'll be focusing on the prana and you'll be able to move the prana. And eventually you get to a point where you can move the prana regardless of what the breath is doing. Now, it's still easier to move the prana in unison with the breath. But if you practice Tai Chi or Qigong or any other practices like that, or martial arts, Kung Fu, etc., then you probably are familiar with being able to feel chi and move chi and work with chi in, in different ways and different uh, uh, movements and exercises. That takes us, that leads us to pranayama and meditation. So kumbhaka is retention of breath. Kumbhaka increases the period of life. It augments the inner spiritual force, vigor, and vitality. If you retain the breath for one minute, this one minute is added to your lifespan. Yogis, by taking the breath to the Brahmarandra at the top of the head and keeping it there, defeat the Lord of Death, Yama, and conquer death. That's from Swami Sivananda. Always inhale and exhale very slowly. Do not make any sound. So again, pranayama is something that you should do before you meditate. And you can do it while meditating as well. You can turn your pranayama into a meditation, especially if you are doing a, a basic hamsa meditation. You can do the mantras mentally. You can begin vocalizing and begin just physically just doing the pranayama but then you can move to doing the vocalizations just mentally. And 
really gently, really relaxed, and just very slowly and um, and what we're actually doing when we're practicing a pranayama, we're yes, we're doing transmutation, but we're also cleansing the nadis. It's like it's like flushing out a coolant system on an automobile or um, or you know the pipes and the plumbing. We're we're moving, getting the flow going, and as that energy flows through, a lot of the uh, the pent up energy and the knots and the debris, the garbage, gets flushed out in the process. Pranayama requires deep concentration and attention. Prana, mind, and virya, which is sexual energy, are under one sambanda, which means connection. If you can control the mind, then prana and virya and are controlled by themselves. If you can control prana, then mind and virya are controlled by themselves. If you control the virya by remaining as an akanda brahmachari without emission of even a single drop of semen, sexual energy, whether male or female, for 12 years, then mind and prana are controlled by themselves. What this is saying is that there is a trinity or tri-unity that relates the prana, the mind, and the sexual force. So practicing scientific chastity, the retention of the sexual force, and pranayama will directly impact your meditation, your ability to meditate and the depth of your meditation. Because there is a tri-unity here. The mind, ultimately, is just another version of prana. As we said, prana is in all the levels. And if you have a physical body, a vital body, an astral body, and a mental body, and a causal body, and a buddhic body, and an atmic body, and if it's all just prana, just at different levels, different manifestations of prana, different expressions of it, then, of course, the relationship between prana and mind and the sexual force are, as Sivananda described here, anytime you control two-thirds of a trinity, you have the majority of the triunity in control. The remaining third is going to come along for the ride. So by focusing on two out of the three, the third comes under, under your control by default. You see that? It's, it's simple mathematics, right? 33, 33, 33, but two times 33 is 66. 66% is the majority. So the minority, 33, has to go along because it's part of that triunity. If you gain control and positively work with two-thirds of the triunity of the trinity 
the whole of the Trinity will be in vibration according to how you are working with those two forces of the Trinity. So prana, sexual force, and mind. That's the interrelationship. So if you're working with prana and mind, and you're working with them in the right way, the sexual energy will come into mind. If you're uh, into line. If you're working with sexual energy in mind the right way, the prana will come into into line, and so forth. So we get to practicing pranayama. Breath is external manifestation of prana, the vital force. Breath, like electricity, is gross prana. Breath is sthula, gross. Prana is sukshma, subtle. By exercising control over this breathing, you can control the subtle prana inside. Control of prana means control of mind. Mind cannot operate without the help of prana. The vibrations of prana only produce thoughts in the mind. It is prana that moves the mind. It is prana that sets the mind in motion. It is the sukshma prana or psychic prana that is intimately connected with the mind. This breath represents the important flywheel of an engine. Just as the other wheels stop when the driver stops the flywheel, so also other organs cease working when the yogi stops the breath. If you can control the flywheel, you can easily control the other wheels. Likewise, if you can control the external breath, you can easily control the inner vital force, prana. The process by which the prana is controlled by regulation of external breath is termed pranayama. You will notice that today we're using a lot of quotations, which we don't normally do. We don't normally go to this length of preparation in terms of slides and quotations and everything. But you have to remember that Swami Sivananda is uh, perhaps the de facto expert when it comes to pranayama. I mean, he wrote the book, The Science of Pranayama, right? The Science of Prana. And you know, who are we, you know, to, to, you know, who are we that you should listen to us? There are times when it's better to turn to a real expert and get their input and see what they have to say. Because Swami Sivananda was, was a master and he achieved that level um, through the very practices that he's describing and the information, the knowledge that he's passing on to us. You know, we're not at that level. So our knowledge is limited. So that's why this today's lecture or today's live stream has is is so chock full of uh, quotes and we will actually uh, avail you to links where you can go and, and read more on your own. You can do more of your own study. Prana is the purifying fire that cleans the scoria, which plugs the nadis. The veils of rajas. Uh, so remember, we talked about the gunas here. Uh, Master Samael refers to the gunas. The veils of rajas, passion and tamas, darkness 
are dissipated within the sexual transmutation of prana. The mind of the student is prepared for dharana, dhyana, and shamadi with the practice of pranayama. The disciple should practice pranayama 10 minutes daily. The disciple should drink a glass of milk or eat any light food after he finishes the practice. The disciple can also practice while standing firm on their feet. The disciple should slowly inhale and exhale with his mind very well concentrated in his practice of pranayama. That's, that's uh, from Samayan Vayor. Now, of course, if you're using pranayama to prepare yourself for meditation, you don't have to eat something after you finish the pranayama. Finish your meditation. Um, that's that, uh, the eating of food is because the, the it's fair to say that we probably eat enough already, but doing pranayama is the transmutation of energy, the transmutation of force. If you feel lightheaded or if you feel weak, it is more than appropriate for you to go and have a snack um, afterwards or after your meditation, because meditation also requires energy. The concentration, if you're, if you're doing meditation correctly, meditation is going to be using energy. There are practices which we will get into uh, a little bit later um, that relate to the harnessing of energy. Uh, but generally speaking, this practice takes work. It takes effort. And anything we do that requires effort uses up energy. So Master Samael recommends you know, a glass of milk or light, you know, uh, another excellent source of energy for spiritual practice is um, uh, almond butter and honey crushed almonds and honey if you spread that on let's say toast uh, a good quality toast in the morning or whenever you need some some energy uh, a good quality honey raw natural honey and uh, just one of those almond butters that's just crushed almonds nothing else and you can mix them one-to-one -one or a tablespoon of almond butter to a teaspoon of honey, something like that. Mix it up well and spread that on toast. Number one, it's delicious. And number two, it gives you, it'll give you tremendous energy. Master Samuel talks about uh, bees and the beauty and the power and the wonder of bees and also the fact that there's a reason why honey is golden in color. It, 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 act, it has the solar force the solar energy the solar light in it i mean it's harvested from flowers for heaven's sake and flowers are these flowers glow right they they, they uh, they're um bioluminescent in, under in the ultraviolet spectrum that that bees and birds and many other animals see in flowers glow like like uh, neon colors under black light that's that's they're 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 uh, they're fluorescent under that spectrum so what they produce the the pollen is um uh, that that attracts uh that the the bees make the honey from um is is filled with 
the highest frequency uh, blue light, uh, indigo blue light, ultraviolet light. That's the, the highest frequency sunlight. And that's, that's the energy that's in honey. So even though the nutritionists say, well, sugar is sugar is sugar, fructose, fructose is fructose and fruit is fructose. Uh, no, honey is in a different category. There's more energy in honey. Now, it doesn't mean that honey is more uh, fattening than other forms of fructose. What it means is has, it has better energy in it. So if you have to use something sweet, if you have to sweeten your tea with, with something, you know, use honey. Especially if you're practicing this type of work because, again, it has the solar energy, the solar force in it. Another good, um, of course, red meat, but we have to be careful with red meat, how much we have, because it can lead to, it can lead to um, us having nocturnal pollutions or, or wet dreams, because there's a lot of energy in, in red meat, a lot, a lot, a lot of energy in red meat. But then there's also the solar forces also in grapes and grape juice. Now, we don't recommend drinking wine. We don't drink alcohol. We don't recommend doing that. But if you get a good quality grape juice, uh, that can also assist if you if you have a feelings of lethargy or short, shortness of energy for, doing, for practicing pranayama or any of the uh, spiritual practices. Because all of these spiritual practices that we're talking about today all transmute energy. And if you're transmuting energy, you're transmuting energy from that gross material physical form that gets utilized by the physical body for example and you're transmuting it into its higher more subtle form which are be which are being utilized by our metaphysical bodies and our innermost being so if we're doing a lot of practices a lot of transmutation we can start feeling tired and and worn out so we we have to be able to replenish that energy Okay, this brings us to pranayama techniques. Uh, single people must transmute the seminal liqueur with deep breathing, keeping the lungs full 30 seconds or uh, keeping the lungs full for 30 seconds or more. This svara or breathing exercise must be performed daily. That is the most simple pranayama that you can perform. You breathe in and you hold it for 30 seconds and then you breathe out that's one pranayama that's the simplest pranayama there is there is no you can't do a, a pranayama simpler than that breathe in hold your breath breathe out so that pranayama do you take the train take the subway Take the bus to work? Do you drive? Do you get stuck in traffic or whatever? 10 minutes stuck in traffic. Breathe in, hold it for 30 seconds, breathe out. Do that for 10 minutes. You've done your 10 minutes of uh, pranayama for the day. There's no excuse not to do pranayama. You can always find, you have a 10 minute lunch break, 15 minute lunch break. 
Take a 10-minute walk. You can do pranayamas while you walk. It's possible. You can do a lot of you can do a lot of uh, practices while walking. But there are more pranayama techniques and more uh, elaborate ones, more advanced ones, you might say. There's something called Christic Egyptian pranayama. This is a form of pranayama which uses the, the alternating closing of the nostril and holding of the breath, but it combines it with mantra. We're not going to go through it because it's a it's a it's a, an elaborate practice and it's different for men and women. They begin differently. They use different mantras, and it would take way too long. It would eat up way too much time. But we will. Um, but it's in the yellow book, and we will. We're going to offer you a link that lists all of these, and have links to the actual web pages that describes them. There's the esoteric vocalization for singles, which we'll cover. There's hamsa pranayama, which we'll cover. There's the rune fa, which we're going to cover, and the rune not. And then there's sexual transmutations for singles from the major mysteries. And then these two chapters on the two witnesses, one's from the Kundalini Yoga and one's from the Yellow Book. These are all listed at the following uh, website, which should pop up as we speak. And there they are. Okay. The link is now in the chat. And these are all links. So if you come to this, if you follow the link that we just uh, put in the uh, in the chat, it'll take you to this page. It has some of the uh, quotes uh, that we uh, talked about, and um, it has more explanation here. But all of these uh, these links will will take you to the descriptions on how to do all of these practices, and with more elaboration and more explanation than we have time to get into today. Okay. So that, again, the link is on screen and it's in the chat, so it's available to you. Let's uh, continue on then. If working with energy we are moving the energy, circulating the energy around in our physical body, in our vital body, mental body, causal body, astral body. The science of the runes is basically making of our body a kind of lightning rod. Um, a tuning fork. We are physically turning our body into an instrument of vibration. 
of energy utilization and flow. And the science of this is based around the power of symbols, the, the power of sacred geometry and symbology and incorporating those symbols into our actual physical orientation. Beloved reader, we have stated very solemnly in our former Christmas message that the poor intellectual animal is only a chrysalid, and that which is called man must be formed and developed within it. Certainly, the solar fire is necessary for the possibility of becoming human to be created and developed within each one of us. Fohat is the generative force, the central living and philosophical fire that can originate the authentic and legitimate mutant, the real and true human within the cosmobiology of the rational animal. Many types of fire exist. Let us remember the lights of St. Elmo seen during the tempests. We put a link here to remind us to uh, continue reading uh, this. It is good for us to remember the mysterious column of fire that guided the Israelites in the wilderness. It is worthwhile to remember the strange meteors that appear in cemeteries that physics in its own way has qualified under the name fatuous fires. Let's make this bigger. Many phenomena reminiscent of lightning exist in the form of balls, cat meteors, etc. In her monumental work entitled The Secret Doctrine, Helena Petrova Blavatsky refers to the sacred fire of Zoroaster or the Atash Bayram of the Parsis. How ineffable are the words of HPB when she speaks of the fire of Hermes. The explanations of this great martyr from the last century are notable when she brings to our memory the fires of Hermes of the ancient Germans, the flashing light of Sibyl, the torch of Apollo, the flame on the altar of Pan, the shining sparks on the hats of the Dioscuri, on the heads of the Gorgons, on the helmet of Pallas, and on the caduceus of Mercury. How sublime was the imperishable fire in the temple of Apollo and in the temple of Vesta. How sublime was the Egyptian Ptah-Ra during the night of the centuries. How magnificent shone the fire of the Greek Kataibatas Zeus, which descended from heaven to earth in accordance with the Pausanias. Certainly, the Pentecostal tongues of fire and the flaming bush of Moses are very similar to the burning Tunal, which brought about the founding of Mexico. The imperishable lamp of Abraham still shines, refulgent and terribly divine. The eternal fire of the bottomless abyss or the pleroma of the Gnostics is something that can never be forgotten. When referring to the sacred fire, it is convenient to mention the fulgent vapors of the Oracle of Delphi, the sidereal light of the Rosicrucian Gnostics, the Akasha of the Hindustani Adepts, the astral light of, the, of Eliphas Levi, etc. The initiatic books are written with characters of fire. We need to fecundate our intimate nature if we, want, if we truly want the solar man to be born within us. Inri. 
Ignis natura renovator integra. The fire renews nature integrally. Among the multiple fires which crackle in the divine eagle, the one which glows, glitters, and shines in the pineal gland, the superior part of the brain, is always the troubadour of the Holy Spirit, who carries the ark from city to city, in other words, from chakra to chakra along the dorsal spine. Indeed, we need to awaken consciousness with intensely accelerated urgency if we want to know ourselves in depth. Only the self-conscious human being can penetrate into the parallel universes at will. The Hindustani Hatha yogis talk at length about Devi Kundalini, the igneous serpent of our magical powers, and they even suppose that they can awake it based on respiratory exercises and many other complicated and difficult physical practices. We, the Gnostics, know that the brazen serpent that healed the Israelites in the wilderness, the divine princess of love, only awakens and rises along the dorsal spine by means of the Mayathuna. Nonetheless, it is not advantageous to undervalue pranayama. It is worth knowing that this magical science of breath, pranayama, when, when wisely combined with scientific meditation, allows us to utilize certain sparks, flashes, flames of kundalini for the healthy purpose of attaining the awakening of the consciousness. To consciously work with the distinct parallel universes, to travel by will in a lucid, clear, and brilliant way through all of the supersensible regions is only possible by transforming the subconscious into consciousness. A judo of the spirit exists. We are referring to the runic exercises. These are formidable in order to attain the awakening of the consciousness. Whosoever wants to work with this judo must begin to work with the rune of mercury, which has a violet color that originates extraordinary cosmic forces. Therefore, it is necessary to know that this aforesaid Nordic rune encloses within itself all of the potency and impulse of fecundity. We need the Fohat's breath, the Pentecostal sparks, in order to fecundate our own psyche, in order for us to become self-conscious. If we analyze the practice of the rune Fa, we can affirm that pranayama, prayer, meditation, and a specific sacred posture all exist within it. We actually did this, mo this morning, five o'clock in the morning. We were feeling really spent. We're feeling a little burnt out, to be honest with you, trying to do um, three live streams a week. Plus, if you've been watching our social media, you've seen all the videos and stuff that we've been doing. Plus working on our book. Plus trying to keep up with our practices. Uh, we're, we've been feeling a little burnt out. So this morning at five in the morning, we were up and we did the rune fa. And not just fa, but fa, dorn, and os. And there's a, uh, in the course on runes, on glorian.org, they explain exactly what those three runes are. But for this, for the purposes of today's live stream, we're just going to cover uh, the rune Fa. As you can see, this is the actual Nordic rune on the screen. 
Um, but the practice is to face the east. And if you can face the sun itself, the rising sun in the morning. But if you, you can do this practice anytime, always facing the east. And you can use a visualization of the sun. And just an image or, you know, whatever you have available, or you just close your eyes and just visualize the sun. You raise your arms left slightly above right. So you basically, you're standing up straight and tall and you raise your arm left slightly above right. So your body takes the shape of the rune fa here and you recite marvelous forces of love, revive my sacred fires so that my consciousness will awaken. And you do these five mantras. Fa, fe, fi, fo, fu. Now, much longer. You take a breath between each mantra and, and pronounce the mantra for an entire breath. And then let your arms relax. And then take a moment. Um, and you can do some pranayama. Do maybe three, three to five pranayama, and then raise your arms again to the sun, and you do the, do it again. Marvelous forces of love revive my sacred fire, so that my consciousness will awaken. Fa fe fi fo fu, and then relax. Now, if you also practice the runes Dorn and Os, uh, again, we'll share you the link where you go to learn about how to do those. But what you would do then is you would combine fa with the rune dorn. We can't roll our R's, so we can't do it properly for you here. And um, and then we there's hand movements and stuff associated with those two runes as well. We'll, we'll show you the link uh, in a minute that describes that. So, yeah, we're not going to read this. Uh, we're going to run out of time. This is, um, so this chat, this part comes from the, the chapter, the, uh, that we just read to you from the magic of the runes and that's here. So, so it's all explained in uh, fair detail from we'll put the link in there but we are also going to come here and going to go to this is the free course on runes and down here you have they have all the runes listed so here you see Fa, Dorn, and Os. So if you want to read why you should combine Fa with the runes Dorn and Os, it's explained in this lecture. And uh, why isn't, oh, it's taking its time loading, that's why. 
Okay, so you can listen to the audio lecture. You can also read it. You can also download a PDF copy. But if we scroll down, okay. These are the three runes, Fa, Dorn, and Oz, and the three shapes of the body that are associated with it. There's an explanation, and there's also a somewhere on this page. This is a long explanation. It's a long lecture, but it's worthwhile because it explains the metaphysical science behind the practice. And it also has this animated gift, GIF that explains the, uh, the rune Os or Otila. Which, interestingly enough, another thing that you will learn in this lecture is our birth name and its, uh, its esoteric significance because Attila comes from Otila, which is related to Othello. And if you have any interest whatsoever in know knowing the esoteric significance of, uh, of our name, you will, you will learn it in, in this lecture. So the link for this Fa, Dorn, and Os in the chat. Okay. Uh, and we shared the pranayama, right? We shared all of these. The rune not, it's similarly, we're going to skip the uh, explanation and just get to the this particular practice. There's two different practices associated with uh, the rune not. The first one is the basic pranayama where you inhale through one nostril, hold it, and exhale through the other nostril. And then inhale back through this nostril, hold it, and then exhale through the first nostril. That's one pranayama, but that's also one practice of the rune not. But that's the first practice. The second practice uh, uh, involves the arms. And you can see from the rune here that what we're doing is we're putting our arms um, in a seesaw motion. And as we do that motion, we pronounce na, ne, ni, no, nu. And we're performing that mantra while we're doing the movement. The explanation is here. And the link, uh, oops, I didn't want to do that. Let's go back here. Let's okay. So there's an explanation for the rune not, but you will also find a, a detailed explanation in the, uh, in the rune course as well. So again, it's basically using the arms in a seesaw motion. It relates to the pranayama where the, the breath is going through in through one nostril, out through the other, back in through that one, and then out through the other. Um, we're really not going to spend a lot of time performing these for you. This is the, the links are in the chat. You have the rune course available. You have the book on runes available. This is something that 
if you want to perform these practices, they involve prana and they involve transmutation. And as you can see, they also, they not only involve the physical movement of the body and the attuning of the body, but they also incorporate um, sound. And that's going to be the next part of today's uh, live stream. Okay, we'll read this. This comes from the Rune Course. The, uh, the link is there at the top, but we also put the link in the... Um, we also put the link in the chat, although it's, oh, well, it's having some difficulty there. The language of the protoplasmic root race was the word of gold, a universal and cosmic language whose combinations of sound produced cosmic phenomenon of all kinds. Those who follow the path of the perfect matrimony come to discover that primeval language again within themselves. When the sacred fire reaches the level of the throat, we then begin to speak in the very pure rising of the divine language, which, like a river of gold, delightfully flows through the dense, sunny jungle. The cosmic laws of nature were taught to the gods by their inner fathers by chanting in this language. The script of the first root race was the runes. The mallet of masonry comes from the arrow of the Egyptian god Ra, and this is a rune. In that epoch, the rituals of the polar temple were all runic. The movements that the swap the movements of the officials were runic. This is the divine script. Let us remember that the swastika is a rune. The Hebrew letters are but modifications of runic letters. That's Samael and Leor from The Perfect Matrimony. So again, we have all of these, all of the runes are covered in the rune course with great detail. So glorian.org slash learn courses and lectures slash runes. Go there. You have links to all the runes. Each lecture, I believe, is about anywhere from an hour to two hours. I think most of them are around 90 minutes, give or take. And they explain the movements, but they explain all of the esoteric significance behind them as well, so that you can really know what you're doing while you're performing these practices. So you can do them consciously and not just mechanically. Because if you do them mechanically, there's some benefit, but if you're thinking about other things while you are doing your pranayama or while you're practicing your runes, you're channeling your energy into those other things, not, not into what you're doing. So, yeah, energy and mantra, this is getting into the next lecture. So this is the, the vowels E, A, U, O, U, A. And when we do these particular mantras we're also transmuting sexual energy and we're going to get into that now because that leads us to the spiritual power of sound now when we name this lecture for friday we forgot the fact that 
Master Samael actually wrote a book called The Spiritual Power of Sound. And when we talk about doing pranayama, obviously, we mentioned doing mantras. The entire universe is sound. The entire universe is, is frequency and vibration. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the logos. So working with sound, we are working with the universe. We're working with vibration, with energy. And the power of sound is... Uh, we all know what the power of music is. We all know what the power of the word is. But do we really know and appreciate the transformative power that sound has on us, the ability to transform us from this crude version of ourselves to our full potential as an awakened true human being and more than that. The sound scale of seven tones exist in the entire cosmos. The seven tones of the great scale with the wonderful rhythms of the fire resound in the entire universe. By singing in the temples at the dawn of creation, the seven cosmo creators celebrated the rituals of fire. Without the magic of the word, Without music, without the creative verb, the universe would not exist. In the beginning was the word. So here musically, we have the seven notes and the seven octaves. We have the organizational law of seven, the seven chakras. We have seven, the, this is called the, uh, the law of seven, the heptaparaparshanak. We have the seven colors, the seven chakras, and the colors... As you know, the, each chakra is associated with a color, but so too the different notes on the different octaves are also associated with colors. And if sound was related to the law of creation, then it is also related to the law of Um, Azazel has uh, put uh, the runes in the chat if anyone wants to if anybody wants to copy paste oh by the way I guess we uh, <laughs> we forgot to share the link didn't we to uh to come on the stream yards you should remind us azazel if that's the case today's a very lectury type of uh, live stream though we have a lot of material to get through but anyway there's the link if you want to come on um so if creation if sound is involved in creation it's also involved in revitalization or maintenance management keep staying healthy the world was created with music, with the word, and we must maintain it and revitalize it with music, with the word. 
The sacred law of the Heptapada Parsha Nock serves as a foundation for the entire septenary music scale. It is necessary to comprehend the value of the word and not to profane it with unworthy thoughts. It is as bad to talk when one must be silent as to be silent when one must talk. There are times when to speak is when to speak is a crime. There are also times when to be silent is a crime. There are criminal silences just as there are infamous words. And we should add to this how in modern times people seem to think that profanity is somehow favorable or beneficial. Um, it is profanity is common these days. And people use profanity to try to, they use profanity like, like punctuation to try to make a point or to try to uh, make themselves seem more important or make what they're saying more impactful or, but really it's more of a, a, a nervous twitch, really. People who just profane constantly for no apparent reason. We really should be careful about our speech and as for knowing when to speak and when to be silent well that comes with wisdom but it also comes from guidance of our innermost we shouldn't be afraid to speak if we're being told to speak up but at the same time we have to be sure that it's we're not engaging in foolish speech and we're not engaging in criminal speech. In other words, we're not allowing our ego to speak for us, speaking out of turn and saying foolish things when, when we should really be just listening. Hello, Azaziel. Hello. I apologize for forgetting yeah. to share the link at the beginning, but better late than never. Yeah, I, guess, I uh, thought it was uh, worthwhile basically going through the information. Uh, so that we didn't miss out on it so yeah so i guess we're we're into sound now so now you uh you're here now you can be be heard and not just uh, seen <laughs> yeah okay um there is a universal language of life spoken only by the angels archangels seraphim etc when the sacred fire blooms in our fertile lips made verb the word becomes flesh in us all the mantras known among the occultists are just syllables, letters, and isolated words of the language of the light. Whosoever knows, the word gives power to. No one has uttered it. No one will utter it except the one who has the word incarnated. So when we talk about, uh, if you have ever read Gurdjieff and you encounter words like heptapadaparshanak and the omnipresent ray of Okidanok and the sacred Triam Nazi Kamno and these types of things, but then all the mantras, all of these words uh, come from the language of Atsaluth. That's the language that's actually spoken in the world of archetypes by the beings of the supernal worlds. It is the 
mother language of all languages. As we were just looking at when we were looking at the runes, it is the origin of the runes. It is also origin of the Hebrew language and many other yeah. languages. But all the runic languages are all born out of this language of Atsaluth. Yep. So anytime that we're working with root languages like Sanskrit, like Latin, like Hebrew, and we are working with words and prayers and mantras that are based in these root languages, we are, we are essentially, although we're not necessarily, uh, we might ourselves not necessarily know what we're saying, but nonetheless, we are speaking the language of Atsaluth to one degree or another. We might yeah. be like a foreigner who can barely speak the language, but we can get out enough uh, sounds that the locals understand that we're looking for the train station. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Right? But, yes. but let's not underestimate the power of that because when we're talking about the language of Atsaluth, we're talking about a language that can create that can put into form the formless essences of all form. The world of Atsaluth is 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 that is that first world, that first level of manifest reality, where yeah. creation exists only as a language, and all creation begins with sound at that level. So that's why what we're going to be covering what we've already covered to a degree with 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 runes but now we're going to be getting in deeper into uh into mantras and prayers is how to work with the language of that world of creation and what are we creating and what are we revitalizing with that language that's the spiritual power of sound that we're talking about now there is a fascinating and wonderful story that Samael Amboyor tells in this book that that's relayed via Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff, George Ivanovich Gurdjieff, wrote a book called Beelzebub Tale, Beelzebub's Tales to His Grandson. And we first uh, came across this uh, anecdote about the Bokharian dervish Haji Asvad's Truov uh, in Beelzebub's Tales to His Grandson. When Gurdjieff recounts the tale firsthand. And it's a fascinating uh, and wonderful sort of anecdote about uh, Beelzebub, who is essentially Gurdjieff. I mean, it's, it's Gurdjieff's travels and, and, and meetings that Gurdjieff had himself, but he's narrating it through this character of uh, Beelzebub. But he goes and he meets with this dervish, and he they and he has another companion, and the and the three of them are are having tea, and this dervish has been uh, doing these experiments with sound, and he has created a kind of uh, piano-like instrument, a harpsichord type instrument, and just by playing some notes. On the instrument, he's able to cause 
a boil to appear on all of the guests leg and it's just it's just a fascinating it's it's a it's a weird thing for us to just describe it like that because it's yeah. kind of strange but he then plays a different set of notes and the boil vanishes so it's 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 a we don't have the time to read it today we read it on friday so it's the, it's in the live stream on friday but it's it's just one of these anecdotes based on gurdjieff's real life experiences where the power of sound is entirely underestimated yeah uh some people are now using sound they're starting to levitate small items with sound they're they're starting to recover that lost science because sound is how the egyptians not the egyptians the atlanteans built the great pyramid of giza and how all the great megalithic structures of the ancient world were assembled and and created it was all using sound to to levitate yeah. and move those stones it was not it's not how the modern engineers and the modern egyptologists and whatever uh, theorize because no. even to this day there are blocks in uh in egypt and uh gobekli tepe and other places that are larger than any of our modern cranes could lift so th th there's there are things that the ancients achieved in the ancient world that modern day engineers could not do they could not we do they don't have the equipment they don't have the know-how to be able to do it so but the egypt egyptologists conveniently gloss that over right and they, say, and they come up with their harebrained half-baked theories the fact is the ancients had the power of sound yeah and with awakened consciousness to be able to focus that sound and you can overcome it's like what what um sivananda said about prana the connection between sound and prana and if you can manage and control the prana in your mind and if you can isolate it and focus it with sound well then you can manage and control the prana of the universe yeah and everything is prana the foundation is energy and the foundation is prana if you can manipulate that and subjugate that then guess what that 50 ton block of limestone has no choice but to obey you because it has to go where the prana goes yeah because it is prana ultimately it is prana it is that it is just energy it feels and looks physical to us but that's just an illusion there's no physicality there there's no matter there that's just crystallized vibration that's just dense uh, uh condensed vibration so yeah the book if you want to read Beelzebub tales to his grandson it's a fascinating interesting book it's a huge book but it's an interesting read not least because Gurdjieff and his character of Beelzebub and the way he writes his writing style is just it's so endearing it's just there's something about it that's just 
uh, I don't know what the word is. Charming. It's charming. It's a charming yeah. book. But of course, also the anecdotes that he raises, raises uh, um, that he relays are fascinating. Okay, we've almost spent as much time as if we had read it, if we would have read it to you. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's continue here. So we have the seven chakras, uh, which are also known as the seven churches of Asiya from the Book of Revelations. The Sahasara or crown chakra, the the uh, the Aina chakra or pituitary gland or third eye chakra. That both of those, the vowel sound is e, right? It's the vowel I, yeah. but you pronounce it E. We have the Vishuddha, or the uh, chakra of the thyroid gland is the chakra of the throat. The, it's the vowel E. Now you can pronounce it E as in get or fret, mm -hmm. but, it, but in Latin you would pronounce it E as in hey or way. Right. So either way, it's you can do it uh, either way. It's it doesn't it's it's not going to make a difference. Uh, then we have the Anahata chakra or the heart chakra. That vowel is O. The solar plexus, the uh, Manipura chakra, the chakra is U. The sacral chakra, the chakra of the the uh, the prostate and the uterus, the vowel is M. And the chakra, the muladhara, the chakra of the sexual organs, and the vowel is S. So this is where we get E A O M S. Well, E A O That's the if we do work with those five chakras alone, that's the transmutation. That's yeah. we can transmute sexual force. But then we have these other important chakras to Gnostics, E-A-O, that you can use to transmute sexual energy while performing white tantra. We have Aum, which is the mantra of the, essentially, the heart chakra. Because really, the heart chakra encapsulates the throat, heart, solar plexus, and uh, sacral chakra. The, so you have this whole region, your, your entire trunk, those four mantras, it's almost like one big chakra. It's the heart chakra, because that's how big the heart chakra is. It encapsulates those other chakras. So Aum... That's also the Aum of life, right? It's not just like like when you when you say Aum, if you you know that mm. uh, that mantra Aum, people spell um, yeah. it O M. Yeah. But that's not how you spell Aum. You sp and that's not how you pronounce it. It's not Aum. Listen carefully to how you say Aum. It's Aum. A O U M. The correct pronunciation, the correct practice of Aum is Aum. That is the mantra of the heart. Yeah. Next we have Iaumes, which is comes from Johannes, John, or James. It's that either way. So when we get into mantra, we get at the purpose of mantra. Just as any language, 
has specific words for specific purposes. There are mantras for every purpose. This is why we learn so many. Hinduism and Buddhism preserve literally thousands of mantras. In Gnosis, we primarily study a few hundred. Some people think that is a lot, but really it is just kindergarten. The mantras we focus upon are very powerful, but only a fraction of the mantric language. If you work seriously and begin to awaken your consciousness, you will learn even more because you will need them. In the same way that you need words to navigate the physical world, you also need words to navigate the spiritual worlds. So um, someone recently mentioned Japa Yoga, the practice of working with beads, uh, prayer beads. Now, this is a tradition which is universal. And Japa Yoga is the beginning where beginners can use the beads as a tool to keep them on track. And whether it's prayer or, or uh, mantras, they go from one bead to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And you can do this by putting your hand in your pocket and having a, a prayer bead bracelet or necklace or what have you. And you're working with the prayer beads and you're out in public. You're on the bus, you're on the train, you're on the subway, you're wherever you are. And you can be silently, mentally practicing your mantras and using these prayer beads to keep you on track, to keep you focused, to, pre to prevent your mind from wandering. And it's a good tool for, for beginners, but it's not a tool. It, it, these things don't exist for you to be able to go around in public showing everybody how holy and how spiritual you are. No. That's what people use it for. But that's not what it's for. And once you've grown out of them, you don't need them anymore. Once you've grown out of them, grow out of them. They're, they're, it's like uh, training wheels. And then you can, then you can continue practicing Japa, Japa yoga or, or, well, without, just without the beads. Um, because med, uh, well, we'll get into that. Six aspects. Now, every mantra has six aspects. The first is the Rishi, which means it's Sanskrit, which means the saint, sage, or master. Every mantra that exists came to us from a master. They were instructed by their innermost being to deliver that mantra, mantra to the world. The second aspect is the meter. That's the rhythm or the tempo of the mantra, the way it is said, how it is used, the way it's pronounced and or sung. And yes, mantras can be, and in many cases should be sung, not spoken. Uh, Devata is the divinity, God, or deity of the mantra. Every mantra is associated with a Devata, a specific deity. The Bija in Sanskrit means seed. Every letter is a seed. They create words. Uh, core mantras like Aum are Bija mantras. They're primordial seeds. And every mantra has a seed, uh, primordial seed, a Bija mantra associated with it, which, which roots that mantra as related to that seed. And we'll show we'll we'll look at um, examples of that. Shakti, 
which of course means energy. Every mantra has a certain energy associated with it. And kilaka. Now, this is the ultimate aspect of the mantra. And it's this, it's the inner secret of the mantra. And it it's exactly as it sounds. Kilaka, the key to unlock, the key to unlock. Ki al ki laka. It's the key to unlock the secret of the mantra. And if and that secret is that if you work with the mantra 24-7, even as you sleep, if you can, you will have a darshan, which means experience. And what you will experience is the devata of that mantra. So to work with a mantra that's associated with a specific divinity or God or deity, and you work with that mantra with great devotion and great discipline, but devotion is the key, right? That's the kilaka. The devotion to the mantra, the devotion to the practice, the power, the love, the, the intensity, the intention which you put into the practice of the, the, the recitation, the singing, the chanting, and the working with that mantra in all in your whole waking hour and if you can while you sleep. Yeah. You will have an experience. Whatever goes out comes back basically. What's that? Yeah, so everything that goes out must come back in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, it's again, it's um look be practical about it. Imagine um Imagine being a parent and then having a child, right, calling out to you, mom, 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 mom. And you know the children do this. Yeah, they do. Right? They want attention. There's something that they need. They need their mother and they'll go, you know, and they'll do that. And then children can do that for hours. Yeah. They can do that for days. Now, eventually, if you put yourself in the shoes of that mother, <laughs> you're eventually going to have to submit. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to see what the hell, what what you know, what the kid wants. <laughs> yeah, uh, that let's say is a crude, crude, crude analogy. <laughs> but if you can imagine the mantra being connected to a deity, and you being that little child putting all of that energy into calling that deity through that mantra, sooner or later, that deity is going to answer you. Yeah. Sooner or later. Okay. The esoteric secret of mantra. Everything that exists has a mantra. Even you. Don't be surprised. We all have a key note or vibration related specifically to our being. We have a sacred name related specifically to our being. In the very root of our being, there is a mantra. It is the name of you, your innermost, not your ego, but you as a ray that emerged from the absolute. You have a mantra, and that is the most sublime secret. If you hear anyone going around talking about their sacred name or their mantra, 
They are an idiot. You should ignore them. The true mantra, the guru mantra related with your innermost must never, ever, ever, ever be revealed unless your being commands you to do it. I have never heard of that happening, so do not be the one who thinks it is you. It is like your social security number in heaven. <laughs> yeah, that's very well put. Now, when we say we're Atlas Alux, yeah. rest assured, we are not talking about our esoteric secret mantra. No. Right? We're talking about the name of our innermost, and Alux means all light, God light, the logos. Uh, al, yeah. all looks all light or al looks god light it's that's no secret <laughs> that's yeah that's no that's that's called um that's called a combination of uh, arabic and uh and and uh, latin <laughs> yeah it's not secret and, uh, no, and atlas exactly. well everybody knows everybody knows who the hell atlas is so that's that's no secret either uh we don't know what our secret mantra is our being has not revealed that to me so i don't know what that is uh, no from same here so but if by chance you do learn it don't tell anyone that's what this uh is saying all right let's get yeah. into the first of two mantras we're going to be discussing with some detail the first is omani padme whom now you may be familiar with this this is a famous mantra Om Mani yeah. Padme Um. It's the mantra of Christ. Avalokiteshvara. That one should basically be sung, actually. Yes, and uh, now there is um, there is an artist, um, Annie, uh, an artist. Yeah, Annie Choying Droma, and uh, here she is. Um, we can't play you any of this because we'll get a YouTube strike. But yeah. there's her name, Annie Choying Droma. She's a Buddhist monk, or sorry, Buddhist nun. And uh, there's her name in the chat. Do a search for Annie Choying Droma and Om Mani Padme Om, and you will hear probably one of the most beautiful renditions of this mantra. You will ever hear and 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 it's a wonderful way of if you like if you're like okay i have to sing a mantra how that how do i sing a mantra i don't know how to sing a mantra listen to annie choying drama all of her recordings all of her cds are just basically singing mantras different mantras all different kinds of mantras so um you can find just do a google search or youtube search for the mantra that you're looking for, you will find a recording of somebody singing it. If you don't know how to sing a mantra, just copy what somebody else is doing. Because they're the reason why they're on YouTube or they're on a CD or whatever is because they're good. <laughs> they have a beautiful voice. Yeah. And they have yeah. a good feel for the uh for the meter of the mantra. And they have a way, they have a good uh sense of how to interpret that to music. And to work with the meter in a musical way so that it's a, it's harmonious. Um, all right, let's get into this quote. 
Avalokiteshvara, Chinrezig or Christ, gazes with overwhelming compassion towards all the six classes of sentient beings who are tormented by misery. The compassion that the Dharma has its focus is the six syllables of Om Mani Padme Hum. The virtues of the six syllables are immeasurable and cannot be fully described even by the Buddhas of the three times. Why is that? It is because this mantra is the quintessence of the mind of the noble Avalokiteshvara, who continually looks upon the six classes of sentient beings with compassion. Thus, the recitation of this mantra liberates all beings from samsara. That's, that's a quote from Padmasambhava, from the Lotus Born. The Aum is manifestation of the Absolute, the three forces. The uh, here we have the the um, the Bija, right? The root mantras, their syllables that are used, and their associations of what color, what elements, what they cleanse, and the virtue or Paramita, which is associated with each one of them. That's this little chart is there. We're not going to go through this in detail. What matters is the, the components of what we're saying. Aum is the manifestation of the absolute, the three forces in motion, creation. The three forces in motion are uh, uh, masculine, feminine, and union of masculine and feminine. That's a law of three. But the three forces, the three factors of birth, death, and sacrifice these are the one these are the forces related to inri inri igne natura renovata integra the fire renews nature integrally that's the christ that's avalokiteshvara chenrezig right that's the christ that's krishna and that is the first emanation the manifestation of the absolute that's the omnipresent ray of akitanak that's the Ain Sof Hour, right? The limitless light. That's the Christ. Mani is creation. Ma plus Ni is a stone, jewel, anything round, phallus, or clitoris. So Mani is related to Mana. And then we have Padme, which is often translated as a lotus or vagina. So Mani Padme is often translated as a jewel in the lotus. And people will, will translate it that way, but they'll, they'll not understand what it means, why. And we'll explain why in a moment. And whom is the color black. Now whom is related to the hume in human being. And hume is the who of, that's the, and whom is the, um, what seals this mantra. It's the, it's the earth, it's the akash. We can reorder 
the syllables of Omani Padme Om to Omanipadam Hum. Oma is the name of the goddess, Ama, mother. Nipa is Sanskrit and means water flowing down. It relates to the Hebrew Shamayim, or heaven, but literally means fiery waters, and it relates to tantric uh, medicine. Because in tantric medicine, the, uh, the, the energy flows down from the, the head into the sexual organs and then activates to flow back up again. That's the shamayim or um, the the fiery waters, the, the the kundalini. Why does it keep doing that? Dam means to be rooted, established. We want that energy to flow into us and be rooted, not lost, not wasted, not misused. And whom represents the union, yoga, relagare that we seek. So you see, omani padme whom has two distinct meanings from the same six syllables, and both are related to the earth. In this case. This is more personal. Oma Nipa Dam Hum is a prayer to our own Divine Mother to bring that creative energy into us and make it firm, establish it, make it strong, not corrupted, not mixed with lust, not mixed with fear and pride and envy, not wasted in animal lust or bestiality or addiction, attachment to sex, but instead harnessed, given back to her, made pure. This is only one additional meaning of that mantra. Now, just because this can be done, Omani Padme Hum, can be rearranged this way to Omani Padam Hum, this, is, this does not give us license to start breaking up mantras and making, making mantras of our own. These mantras were all given to humanity by masters. Don't think that just because the syllables of a mantra in, in the case of Omani Padme Om, can be rearranged into Omni Padam Hum, don't think that, oh, the syllables of mantras are like Lego, and I can put them together any which way that I want. Hmm. Uh, no, no, you can't. In the same way that you can't, you, you can't take the elements of a recipe or the elements of a chemical reaction and reorganize them any which way you want, you can, you can create dangerous results that way. And yeah. you should not play around with fire you should not play around with things that you have no knowledge of you really don't so uh just stick to the mantra as they've been taught as they've been given as they've been used and besides which you should also pick a mantra and stick with it uh there is one secret to Om Mani Padme Om, and that is that the world knows it as Om Mani Padme Om, but if you go to the astral plane, you will find that in the supernal worlds, they sing this mantra, Om Masi Padme Om. Not Mani, Masi Padme Om. And that's a secret to this mantra, which really only those who are practicing uh, a scientific chastity, sexual alchemy, transmutation of sexual force, perform the mantra this way, with an S. The Buddhists don't reveal this publicly, but that's because 
it's part of their tradition not to talk about white tantra publicly what that's only for the inner sanctum of buddhism and those uh, monks and nuns who have de demonstrated their devotion to buddhism and that they've earned the right to practice they are taught om masi padme hum but if you're withholding their sexual force and you're transmuting with pranayama or sexual alchemy or then if you want to work with this mantra work with it om masi padme hum remember the christ and also remember your divine mother who is the mother of the christ who gives birth to the christ she is the whom she is the earth from which the aum comes and it comes through the jewel in the lotus because the jewel the stone the phallus the lotus is the vagina it's sexual alchemy it's sexual union it's white tantra that's the mantra of christ that is how christ is born within us from our whom from the from our hume and mani right is as we said is related to manas divine mind like human being whom manas whom mani but the key is that lotus that vagina the divine feminine aspect and aum the the manifestation of the absolute emerges from that right the divine mother mary the virgin mother of god she gives birth to the christ um horus horus is born of isis and the egyptian and all all the trinities we have brahma vishnu and, and uh uh and shiva right but then krishna is born of the union of shiva shakti etc etc okay mantra of the divine mother yes we, we went through this okay next we're going to go on to another mantra this mantra is klim Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopijana, Vayabaya, Swaha. And if you're rolling your eyes, because that sounds like that's ridiculous, and you're never going to learn that, you're never going to practice that, and you like nice, simple mantras like Aum, remember that the more, the more apparently complicated a mantra is, the easier it is to work with. And the reason that is, is once you learn this mantra, Klim Krishnaya Govindaya Gopijana Vayabaya Swaha. Now, you're not going to say it like that, but once you learn it, you can chant it, you can repeat it, and it's very difficult for your mind to wander and, do, and think about other things while you're doing this mantra. Number one, it's the mantra of mind protection. Let's start with that. But secondly, it's a complex mantra. It requires your attention. It requires your focus and concentration just to be able to say it. Yeah. So this is a great mantra for Japa. If you if you start out, just if you need a, a set of prayer beads in your pocket while you're going for your walk, go for your walk. Go ahead. Go for your walk. Go for a nice hour-long walk. Take your prayer beads. Put them in your pocket. And... 
and do this mantra for an hour every time you go for a walk. It's an hour of mantra out in the out in nature. It'll do you good, and it'll it'll keep you focused and present and mindful, not just on the mantra, but on everything around you, and on your walk. It's going to be very difficult for your mind to wander, thinking about work and your boyfriend or your you know your homework, your exams, your whatever it is, your you know taxes, bills. Whatever it is that your you know your mind is wandering around the World Cup, the Olympics, whatever. Yeah. No. This. So, but if you're trying to do going Aum, Aum, thirty seconds <laughs> into doing that, you're going to be thinking of something else. Yeah. Your mind is already going to be able to wander. Try doing. Try. Try this mantra. Just see. Okay. Let's. Um, one attains peace in whose mind. All desires enter without creating any disturbance, as river waters enter the full ocean without creating a disturbance. One who desires material objects is never peaceful. One who abandons all desires and becomes free from longing and the feeling of I and my attains peace. That's Krishna from the Bhagavad Gita. This is relevant and related to this mantra because the second part of the mantra is Krishnaya. This whole mantra is related to Krishna, the Christ. The powerful mantra mentioned above has three perfectly defined stages. On chanting Klim, which the occultists of India called the seed of attraction, we provoke a flow of Christic energy which instantly descends from the world of the solar logos in order to protect us. Thus, a mysterious door is then downwardly opened Afterwards, by chanting the three following parts of the mantra, the Christic energy is infused with the one who chants them. Finally, by means of the fifth part, the one who has received the Christic energy can radiate it with tremendous force in order to defend themselves from the tenebrous ones. They then scatter away in terror. So, in other words... This is a mantra of protection, and we can recite it while drawing a circle of protection around us. If we're ever in the astral, if you travel in the astral plane, or you plan on doing any astral projection, learn this mantra. You should also learn what's known as the microcosmic star. Uh, we've talked about that in the past. That's where you step out, you, you cross your arms right over left. You step out to the right and put your arms out and make out of yourself a five-pointed star. And you, you do that and you say, Klim. And then you put your hands over your head to make the point of the star and you say, Krishnaya. And you put your arms out, Govindaya, Gopijana, Vayabaya, and then cross your arms right over left again and say, Swaha. And then in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and by the most holy Tetragrammaton, you make a big circle and you do a sig rune to seal the practice. That's called the microcosmic star. There's a video of it on YouTube and a video of it on glorian.org. But this is the mantra that you say when you practice the microcosmic star. And it's also the mantra that you can use in the astral plane to defend yourself yeah. if you are attacked by demons or attacked by black magicians. So you pray to your divine mother 
you ask her to deliver you your sword and once you have your sword in your hand it, it appears in your hand you draw a circle of fire around you a pentagram with the two points uh the bottom points uh pointed towards your adversary and you draw that circle of fire around you and, and you recite this mantra Klim Krishnaya Govindaya Gopijanavaya Vaya Swaha. It's a mantra of protection. It's a mantra of Christ. So, uh, yeah, and um, by the way, if you are traveling in an astral plane, you can basically practice pronouncing this mantra in the astral plane before you get attacked. The prepared yes, ones yeah. survive basically. So, if you do travel in the astral plane, there's no harm in basically practicing this uh, mantra because it can take some time before you get it right. Yes, and that's actually comes back to that uh, thing we said earlier about um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, kilaka and working with great devotion with a mantra. If you work with this mantra 24-7, then if you then you will work with it in the astral plane as well, just as you work with it during your waking hours. Mm. So, and you're right. It, it's just, it's like, uh, it's like mosquito repellent for demons. <laughs> yeah. If you keep, if you keep pronouncing, if you keep working with it. So the, uh, the components of the mantra, Bija, the K, the Ka, is related to Krishna, uh, Kamadeva, the, the Lord of love, Christ, Indra, the God of thunderbolts, Contentment, serenity, peace. Klim relates to bodhicitta. Klim is the seed mantra that invokes Christ. Master Samael calls Klim the seed of attraction. Why? Klim is the bija of Krishna who is called the attractive one because souls are drawn to Christ. Because it is known as the mantra of attraction or mantra of the Lord of love, this mantra has been appropriated by many black magicians who call it the mantra of desire. And they say that you can use this mantra to get anything you want, especially sex. This is a good example of how and why many of these teachings were kept secret for so long. Because, um, and why we always say the most important contemporary mythology that humanity was given was Star Wars. Because in Star Wars, it was revealed that the Jedi and the Sith used the same force and have the same powers and use the same weapons. It's just a matter of how they use them and who they use them for that determines whether someone's a Jedi or a Sith. And now it's so important to make that clear for humanity because, because the Black Lodge, the Black magicians and Black occultists, will, that's why they're so easily uh, duping so many people into their occult practices because they're using this they're, they're using the same mantra the same teachings the same practices like for example they can turn a pranayama into a method to induce orgasm and to intensify orgasms they take tantra they take sexual alchemy that's why sexual alchemy was kept secret and was only revealed to those people who had proven themselves worthy to receive that information yeah. because the outcome of practicing on the path, the outcome of transmuting the sexual force, either as a single person or with uh, or uh, through sexual alchemy, the end result is one of two things. 
a god or a demon. That's it. Yeah. Those are the only those are the only two possible outcomes. Because the third outcome, called a Hasnamusen or Hanasmusen, someone with a split center of gravity who's awakening both as an angel and as a demon, one who's awakening bo uh, uh, as both, invariably that person always ends up as a, as a demon. But that's the only that's the only choice, because you're working with the power of creation. You're working the forces of creation and of transmutation. What are you mutating yourself into? An angel, a god, or a demon? And it's not, it's not the practices that are the fault of that. It's what's going on in your mind. What are you focusing on while yeah. you're doing the practicing practices? What is your what is not just what is your intention, but what is the outcome that you want? What and what is it? Why are you doing it? What is the actual cause and effect, the karmic? outcome the scientific outcome of these practices if you're doing these mantras if you're doing the 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 work that we described uh today and the result is you are not uh developing uh a devotion to others a devotion to your innermost a devotion to your divine mother a devotion and a dedication of sacrificing your life for the sake of others. If you are not abandoning and letting go of your worldly desires and your desire for comfort and security and your desire to have the things that other people have and your desire to be rich and famous and or, 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 or your concern about your reputation or, you know, if, if these things are not falling by the wayside, but they're only intensifying, then you are not on the spiritual path. You're on the left-hand path. You might be doing all of the stuff that we're talking about here. You might be doing mantras. You might be doing runes. You might be doing um, pranayama. You might be doing all of that. But if while you're doing all those things, you're thinking about, oh, that, that new car. Oh, I really want a Tesla. I really want a new, that one of those nice, fancy electric cars. Well, that's what you're going to be creating. That's what they call black magic. Or if you're thinking about, oh, I really want a sexual partner, but she needs to look like this, and she needs to look like that, and she needs to do this, and needs to do that. Well, that's that's what you're going to... Some Something like that is eventually going to come into your life. And you will have created it because you will have created the lust, the desire, and you will have infused it with all of this energy, all this power, with the creative force, with the fohat, with the fire, with the kundalini. You will have injected it into those thoughts, into those desires, because that's what you were focused on while you're doing these practices. So, of course, you've manifested this beautiful sexual sex object into your life now so you got what you wanted you manifested your desires congratulations you're on the you're on the uh the the path to becoming a full-fledged black magician and awakened demon congratulations so when the when the new age people and all those new age gurus and uh, people on oprah's book list 
and even people like Eckhart Tolle and all the rest of them, Deepak Chopra and all these, these gurus and their millions of followers and their multi-million dollar mansions in Hawaii and everything else. They talk about manifesting desires and manifesting desires. And you have Tony Robbins and all these self-help gurus and everybody talk about manifesting desires. They are all teaching people how to become demons. Period. Yeah. End of story. That's a fact. That is a bona fide fact. Because a bodhisattva, a master, doesn't care about cars and money and mansions and doesn't care about sexualized objects and attracting sex and attracting and manifesting their desires. They don't have any desires. They're, they're, they are interested in losing their desires and eliminating the causes of their desires, the causes of their suffering. And they are devoted and dedicated to humanity, to others. Yeah. And that's why we made that video recently with that quote from Master Samael talking about selfish spirituality. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why we made that video and put it on YouTube. Because selfish yeah. spirituality is 99% of what people call spiritual is selfish spirituality. It's selfish. And uh, as Azel said earlier, you get what you give. You get what you give. If you do not give, don't expect to get anything. So then if you if you don't get anything, well then, I've, I'm going to have to take it for myself. I'm going to have mm -hmm. to take back my power, they people say, these people call it, and manifest what I want, right? That's how they think. Mm -hmm. That's how they talk. Yeah. Okay. That was a bit of a rant. Let's come back to the... <laughs> Krishna is the name of uh, Christ in India. It could very, uh, it could very well be that on the face of this planet, there is no deity more worshipped than Krishna. I know the Americans think that Jesus is the most worshipped figure, but really, there are far more people in the world worshipping Krishna. Nonetheless, they represent the same force, Christ. Religious competition is a disease. All right. Um, next, we have Govindaya. Govindaya of the Upanishads that gives this mantra explains that Govindaya means he who is famous on the earth and in the Vedas and amongst the seraphic cows. Krishna is often depicted with a cow. Krishna is a cowherd. Jesus, who is a Christified master, is represented as a carpenter, as a fisherman, as a laborer working in the fields of the earth. Krishna is depicted similarly. In fact, the name Krishna can also mean tiller of the earth one who reaps the souls. Govindaya is related to the cow herd, the one who protects the cows, the one who gathers the cows, and the one who labors in the earth. The cow is a very deep symbol. It is a very deep and profound with many levels of meaning. If you study the book, Tarun Kabbalah by Samal and Rayor, you will learn about that. I'm surprised that the Gnostic instructor didn't mention uh, shepherds here because Jesus, Jesus is called the good shepherd and God is called the shepherd as well. And so clearly the connection between a cow herd and a shepherd is very similar. The, yeah. the idea that uh, they, they herd um, and they reap what they sow. So that's, that's related to Govindaya. Um, next, we come to the Gop... Um, okay, next we come to Gopijana Vayabaya. Now, Gopijana Vayabaya, gopis from the myth of Krishna, 
The gopis represent many things, but first and foremost, they represent your innermost, your being, who so much longs to unite with Krishna. That is all your being wants, to unite with Christ, to merge with Christ. The reason this tradition presents the symbol of the gopi, a virginal maiden, is because the woman has such a capacity for love, a burning heart, an innocence, a purity, a virginity, and these all represent qualities of the monad. So in the um, in the uh, Bhagavad Gita, the, we, you have uh, these gopis that are um, all uh, fawning over Krishna. And they have this, they're all these, they're these innocent virgins, and they, and Krishna plays with them and, and uh, entertains them and so on. And uh, if someone reads uh, this literally, they will uh, mis mistaken this for, for for this harem of virgins that Krishna had, but that's not what this represents. the The gopis are the independent aspects of the being. We have twelve independent aspects of the being, and they all long to be one with the Christ, one in the Christ, and one with the Christ, part of the perfect multiple unity. And again, as as the Gnostic constructor describes here. They use the uh, the symbol of the virgin because of that the the woman's capacity for that devotion and, and dedication, that burning innocence, that purity, in order to long to be with he whom they love. Swaha is the final component of this mantra. It seals the mantra and projects the force of it. Okay. There are many, 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 many more mantras. We do not have the time to get into them. Uh, we now are going to cover the second part of the, uh, the live stream on sound. That's prayer. Um, but hopefully, by going through these two mantras, Om Asi Padme Om and Klim Krishnaya Govindaya Gopijana Vayabhaya Swaha, you see some of the depth of meaning that each component of the mantra has. And that putting it together, how that produces that overall power. Before working with a mantra, try to find a reliable resource, uh, preferably at Glorian.org or related uh, one of the mas masters uh, like Sivananda. Uh, we we quoted several of them, um, Padmasambhava, um, Vilarepa, right? So, uh, Master Samael. There are many masters that you can turn to and many masters write about many different mantras over the course of their lives and the course of their works. So you can find explanations and the deep meaning of various different mantras. Try to do your research on a mantra before you work with that mantra. Because chances are, if you just take a mantra off YouTube or take a mantra off the internet or off a yoga website, it'll say, oh, this mantra means this. And that'll just, it may be also, it may also mean that, but it will probably be the superficial uh, first veneer layer kindergarten level of meaning. And if you're going to work with a mantra, you want to be able to work with deep devotion and consciousness on a deeper level uh, of, with that mantra. So on that note, let us turn now to another way to work with sound. And that's prayer.
So one of the most powerful prayers that we have is known as the Pater Noster, or the Our Father. It was given to humanity by Christ, uh, Jesus, who is the master of masters for this planet. And if you can say it in Latin, say it in Latin. Because Latin is a more powerful language. It's more, it's, it's more rooted. It's more, uh, more of a root language than the bastardized English we have today. And to help you with that, we have included with all, as many prayers as we, as we can cover today, the Latin and the Latin translation. So we have, oh, and by the way, you can also sing this. And to get a really beautiful rendition of the Our Father, you can find uh, Andrea Bocelli sings it. And I'm pretty sure you can get it on YouTube. Andrea Bocelli singing the Our Father. Again, we can't play it for you because we get a YouTube strike. But uh, search for it yourself. And uh, if, you, if you can't find that version, that's okay because the Catholic Church sings the Our Father at every Mass. So if you've ever been to a Catholic Mass or you find a Catholic Mass on YouTube, you will find, you can find people singing the Our Father and you will learn how to sing it. And you can sing it in Latin because you can search for that as well. And you will find a recording of people singing it in Latin. Okay, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pater noster, quias in saelis, sanctificatur nomen tum. Thy kingdom come, adveniat regnum tum. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Fiat volantes tua, sicut in caolo et in terra. By the way, we are not claiming to be uh, experts in Latin. Our Latin pronunciation is, yeah, is iffy at best. Um, as we've explained many times, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Even if you're alone, even if you're by yourself in your room, you say our Father. Why? Because you are not an I. You are not an individuality. You are multiplicity. And you and your innermost being together are praying to the Christ, are praying to the Logos. Our Father. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodi et dimite nobis debita nostra sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Et nenos inducas in tentationem sed libera nos amalo. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Quiatum est regnum et potestas et gloria in saecula. Amen. Okay. Next we have the Hail Mary, also known as the Ave Maria. Now this one is easy to sing, and it's easy to find recordings of it. And there are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful classical renditions of the Ave Maria. Um, now in Gnosis, Ramio is Mary. Ramio is the Divine Mother. So in Gnosis they say, Ramio, and you can use that mantra to invoke her. In fact, you can invoke her if you're uh, meditating on your uh, defects and vices. And uh, once, if you have a comprehension, you can call your Divine Mother 
by using Ramio. Or if you need your weapons in the astral plane, you can invoke your Divine Mother by using Ramio. So, but we're going to say Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. Ave Maria, gratia plena. Our Lord is with thee. Dominus teclum. Blessed art thou among women. Benedicta tu in mulieribus. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Yeshua. Et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Virgin Mary, Mother of God. Virginis Maria, Mater Dei. Pray for us with the sinning ego. Ora pro nobis cum peccatoribus ego. Now and at the hour of the death of our vices. Nuch et in ora mortis vitium nostre. Amen. Sela fiat. It's pretty straightforward. Our Divine Mother is the one who, who helps us with the elimination of egos anyway. So the Apostles' Creed. Now, you may remember this from if you are familiar with the Catholic Church. This is basically the same, only it's the Gnostic Church. Only the difference is Gnostic Church, there is no church. We have no bishops. We don't really have priests. We don't have an organization. We don't have a pope. So the Gnostic Church is in the supernal worlds. That's the Gnostic Church. The Gnostic Church is in the astral plane and beyond, the causal plane and absolute. The seven cosmo creators are the leaders of the Gnostic Church. And ultimately, the Christ, the Logos, is, and the absolute. I mean, the only pope that we have is the absolute. I mean, that's to, to be really fair about it. So when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father uh, Almighty. From thence, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Gnostic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This, for us, is a kindergarten level prayer. This is a prayer that you make when you first come into the teachings of Gnosticism, of Gnosis, and you you still in the, the mindset of, I need to believe in something, and what do I believe in? Mm. That's what this is. But if you are ever in doubt, if you ever have your faith being challenged, or you're having a moment of weakness, or you are you're being rattled and you're being uh, tempted to stray from the path, the apostle, this, this prayer can help you. It's a kindergarten level prayer perhaps, but when you are being tempted by your inner uh, animal, by your inner mechanical self, by your inner child, not, not, your, not your innermost being, but the but the 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 sniveling self-righteous uh, child who's whining now and wants to go off and play with his toys the Apostles Creed can be a reminder to get yourself back on track to um, basically set yourself straight again okay um, we're going to talk about three prayers of protection the first one 
is the conjuration of the four. Now, there's going to be some Latin in here, but we will provide the Latin translation as well. Now, the conjuration of the four is basically, we're talking about the conjuration of the four elements. So the four elements of mechanical nature. So in other words, when we are being attacked by dark forces or we want to protect ourselves from the forces of mechanical nature and the Black Lodge egos work for mechanical nature. We want to be able to conjure those four elements. And that's the, um, the different animals that are being talked about in this prayer represent the, those different animals of our lower animal self. Caput mortem, imperativi dominus per vivum et devotum serpentem. Cherub, imperativi dominus per adam yod hava. Aquila erans, imperativi dominus per alas tauri. Serpens, imperativi dominus tetragrammaton per angelam et leonem. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Anael, fluat udor in spiritum Elohim, mana in terra per adam yod hava. Fiat firmamentum per yod hava sabaoth. Fiat judicium per ignem in virtut Michael, angel of the blind eyes, obey and pass away with this holy water. Work winged bull, or revert to the earth, unless thou wilt that I should pierce thee with this sword. Chained eagle, obey my sign, or fly before this breath. Writhing serpent, crawl at my feet, or be tortured by the sacred fire, and pass away before the perfumes that I burn in it. Water, return to water. Fire, burn, air, circulate, earth, revert to earth. By virtue of the pentagram, which is the morning star, and by the name of the tetragram, which is written in the center of the cross of light. Amen. 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 Here's the, tr the Latin translation. Caput mortem imperativi dominus per vivum et devotum serpentem is corpse head. May the living and devoted serpent Adonai command thee. Kerub, imperativi dominus per Adam yod hava, is Kerub, may Adonai command thee by Adam yod hava. Aquila Adans, imperativi dominus per Adas tauri, wandering eagle, may Adonai command thee by the wings of the bull. Serpens, imperativi dominus tetragrammaton per angelum et leonem. Serpent, may Adonai, the tetragrammaton, command thee by the angel and the lion. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Anael. That's straightforward. Fluat udor in spiritum Elohim, flow perfume by the Ruach Elohim. Mana in terra per Adam yod hava, earth be established by Adam yod hava. Fiat firmamentum per yod hava sabaoth, spread firmament by yod hava sabaoth. And fiat judicium per ignem in virtut Michael, be judged by the fire in the power of Michael. The names Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Anael are the archangels that hopefully should go without saying. This comes from the uh, Glorian course, Defense for Spiritual Warfare. Um, and you can learn more about this prayer if, if we can uh, bring it up for you here. Boy, our internet is not... Uh, So it's alchemy and the tetragram. And they talk about, so for example, here are the uh, the lion, the the work winged bull. Here's the winged bull, uh, chained eagle, all of the different elements 
that we talk about in the poem are visualized here and they explain they explain the prayer in great detail in this lecture and we've given you the uh the link in the uh, chat let's uh continue on here okay so the next conjuration is known as the conjuration of the seven again we'll have some uh all right in the name of Mikael, may Jehovah command thee and drive thee hence, Chavayoth. In the name of Gabriel, may Adonai command thee and drive thee hence, Bael. In the name of Raphael, be gone before Eliel, Sam Gabriel. By Samael, Sabaoth, and in the name of Elohim, Gibur, get thee hence, and Ramalek. By Zachariel, et Setchiel, Melech, be obedient unto Elva, son of Gabriel. By the divine and human name of, Shara of El Sharai, and by the sign of the pentagram which I hold in my right hand. But in the name of the angel Anael, by the powers of Adam and Eve, who are Yod Hava, begone Lilith, let us rest in peace, Nahema. By the holy Elohim, and in the names of the genii, Kashiel, Sahaltiel, Aphiel, and Zahariel, at the command of Orifiel, depart from us, Moloch, we deny thee our children to devour. Amen, amen, amen. These seven represent the seven deadly sins. The seven uh, uh, arch demons of hell, they are the seven counterparts to the seven cosmo creators. And of course, it's the seven cosmo creators that we are calling upon in this prayer to defend us from the seven legions of hell, legionnaires of hell. And um, so that's what all the names are. But again, this has a lecture associated with it. And that lecture is called The Conjuration of the Seven Explained. And we uh, give you the, uh, the link in the chat. So they have that wonderful image there. This um, prayer was given to us by Solomon, and so as the next prayer as well, which is another prayer. Um, oh, sorry, before we get there. So the usage of the conjuration of the four and seven. We recommend to pray with great strength to recite the conjuration of the seven of the wise Solomon or the conjuration of the four. These prayers of our, are of an extraordinary efficacy for our mental and physical defense. <clears throat> there are women who practice sorcery against men and vice versa. These victims must incessantly defend themselves with the conjuration of the four and seven. Black magicians can also make their victims become obsessed with fixed ideas. Likewise, numerous cases of being possessed exist with the gospels, within the gospels. Generally, mediums of spiritualism become obsessed by larvae, and by demons that populate the lower regions of the astral world. All these cases are cured by reciting the conjuration of the four in front of the manic person. <clears throat> this is very true. Okay, next we have the invocation of Solomon. Now, this is also can be used as a prayer of protection, but this is really a prayer about ourselves. And... It is a prayer which is very deep, 
and it relates to the tree of life and the ten sephirah of the tree of life. Now, yeah, conjuration of the seven relates uh, to Kabbalah as well. Um, what we're going to try to do as we're reading through the invocation of Solomon, we're going to use this little uh, laser pointer uh, thing, and we'll just point to the different sephirah mm. as they are mentioned. And because each sephirah also has an aspect associated with it, which gets mentioned in the prayer as well. So you'll get a sense of this as we go through. Powers of the kingdom, be under my left foot and in my right hand. Glory and eternity. Take me by the two shoulders and direct me in the paths of victory. So that's glory and eternity. Take me by the two shoulders and direct me in the uh, the um, the paths of victory. No, I got that one wrong. Okay, mercy and justice be the equilibrium and splendor in my life. Intelligence and wisdom crown me. Spirits of Malkuth, lead me betwixt the two pillars upon which rests the whole edifice of the temple. Angels of Netzach and Hod, establish me upon the cubic stone of Yesod. O Gedulael, O Gabriel, O Tipareth, Binael, be my love. Ruach Hokmael, be thou my light. Be that which thou art, and thou shalt be, O Keteriel. Ishim, assist me in the name of Shaddai. Kerobim, be my strength in, in the name of Adonai. Beni Elohim, be my brethren in the, in the name of the Son and by the power of Sabaoth. Elohim, do battle for me in the name of Tetragrammaton. Melakim, protect me in the name of yod Hey vav Hey. Seraphim, cleanse my love in the name of Eloah. Hazmalim, enlighten me with the splendors of Elohim and Shekinah. Adalim, act. Orphanim, revolve and shine. Hayoth ha-kadosh, cry, speak, roar, bellow. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Shaddai, Adonai, yod hava. asher, Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. This prayer is so uh, dense that there are two there are two um, lectures associated with it here is the link to the first one and again all of these are contained in the uh, defense for spiritual warfare course which is th these are all th these lectures are all a part of this course as you can tell it's a very uh, thorough course on glorian.org but anyway there's the uh two lectures in the chat associated with the invocation of solomon and this is all kabbalistic it's all kabbalah incidentally if we just 
jump back here for a second. Remember we were talking about the microcosmic star? There's the tetragram. And uh, there's this lecture on the microcosmic star. And here is the microcosmic star being performed. And okay, Klim, Krishnaya, Govindaya. Go oh, wait, he did that way too fast. <laughs> Klim, Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopijana, Vayabaya, Swaha. That's the microcosmic star with the mantra that we added to it. I guess they do it slower here explaining what it all means. And Anyway, so we give you these links uh, for the express purpose of for you being able to go and do your own research on your own time. Uh, clearly, we're giving you a kind of like summary overview versions of this stuff, kind of introductory um, to this material. So you can go and, and go and discover these things for yourself on your own time. I think there's one more prayer that we have time for to get through. It's called the Fons Alpha. This is a prayer for protection in times of danger. Now this is real danger, bullets, knives, wounds, enemies, ambush, you name it. This is like, this is like your go-to prayer for when when the proverbial crap gets real and it's mm -hmm. like real practical down to earth bodily harm your life is in danger prayer for protection so prayer for physical from physical suffering and, and and pain and death not just not just black magicians or demons in the astral plane or whatever okay um, you will see the English translation on the right-hand side. We're not going to read it. We're just going to read through the prayer. This one you have to you have to pray uh, in the original language. You can't do not use this the translation because I have problems with this translation. I don't think it's accurate. The um, I don't I don't trust it. And you cannot pray the translation. You have to pray the prayer because the power is in the words and the names. Remember what we said about Atsaluth and the language of Atsaluth. That's where the power of this prayer comes from. Okay. Fons Alpha et Omega, Figa Figales, Sabaot, Emmanuel, Adonai, O Nerai, Ella, Ihe, Reoton, Neger, Sahe, Panjaton, Komen, Agla, Mateus, Marcus, Lucas, Johannes, Titulus Triunfales, Jesus Nazarenus, Rex, Iuedorum, ecce dominice, crucis signum fugite, partes adverse, visit Leo, de tribu Judei, radix David, hallelujah. Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, pater noster, Ave Maria, et nevos, et venia super nos salutare tum, ore 
you say it that way with that with those with that meter with those emphasis and uh that is a uh, powerful prayer for protection for from actual bodily harm okay so we really motored through a lot there <laughs> yeah but three hours has gone by um um does anybody have any questions or comments or uh anything uh, not really no anybody in the chat we only have four of you left so <laughs> um anyone anything uh okay well if no one has any um questions or comments i want to uh thank you oh where did that go here i'll put you back there you go um i want to thank you for your time and attention i want you to i want to thank you for being here today yeah and, thank um, you likewise <laughs> i hope that uh i hope that you appreciate the 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 weight of the um of the practices that we we're talking about and how energy relates to sound and the physicalization through runes and the working with the prana and the, and the power of sound as we work with, with our energy and how they are, they are, uh, uh connected. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome, Jules. Thank you for being here. Um, And we also want to wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day, uh, the the feast day of uh, Valentinius, the great saint of love. Uh, we should, well, we will um, be dedicating a, a live stream to love in the near future because we're going to be moving into the discussion of sexual alchemy and we cannot discuss sexual alchemy outside of the context of love. And this being valentine's day we maybe probably could have or should have done love today but then this is our catch-up day so we have to do catch-up on mondays otherwise everything will get fall out of sync and everything will get screwed up so we may do love on wednesday and then uh sexual alchemy on friday so then the following monday we'll do a, a combination of both um we think that's the plan for, for the rest of the week for the live streams. But as we said at the beginning, um, or when did we say, we mentioned it at some point in this live stream that, yeah, when we talked about the rune fa, we had to do the rune fa this morning because, um, we've been feeling a little bit of burnout, uh, trying to keep up with all of the social media stuff. It takes forever for us to make those memes and those videos and, and whatnot for the social media. Um, and uh and then to keep up with the live streams and uh trying to write our book it may be that we'll have to cut back we might have to go back we might have to cut back to two live streams a week instead of three um i don't know we'll see how it goes it depends on it depends on how the rest of the week goes we've now done all of our posts for social media for the week so we don't have to worry about that now until the weekend so the rest of the week we should technically only be working on our book and uh, the live streams 
So we'll see how it goes. Well, uh, but we'll keep you informed. But thank you all for joining us. And uh, if there's no more questions or anything, then we'll bid you farewell. Azazel, did you want to say anything? Um, no, not really, no. I'm actually also thinking about like creating a website um, just like you basically, but doing basically my own kind of work um for others um because we all have different experiences and many different things to yeah provide to others so yeah <laughs> i will be working on that as well uh so yeah it may be possible that i won't attend as much <laughs> for the future because that's uh a really hard uh, task to put on, <laughs> put up with, basically. Uh, but it's uh, also very important. Um, uh, yeah. What would you uh, <laughs> focus on? What would you focus on in your uh, on on the site? Is it just you want to share your experiences or share what you know, or what? What's the what's the the plan behind it? Yeah, so the plan behind this is basically how easy it is to basically use all these things we learn about in the wrong way, basically, to oh, yeah. be tempted. Um, because uh, there's uh, another aspect to it as well. Mm -hmm. Sure, we should protect ourselves from demons and the like. But we can also learn from uh, demons and the like. So, for example, every time you encounter a demon, it's not like you should be afraid of it and panickingly starting to pray. Sometimes you actually need to be present and be aware and listen to what that demon has to teach. Well, okay. It'd be interesting to uh, it'd be interesting to hear what you, your experiences on that front are. Uh, our experience would be to uh, be very leery as to anything you think you can learn from what a demon tells you, because they yeah, are not there to, exactly. It's easy. To, they are very, not there to help very you. easy. Yeah, they are not there. To, they are not there to help you. Nope, they are not. They are not. And in fact. Uh, you should always be very. You should always be uh, much more leery of any resplendent being that approaches you in the astral yes. plane. Someone that that appears to you as an angel or an archangel or some kind of mm. glorious something or other, uh, yeah. be very, very, very leery because it's probably a demon in disguise. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, but anyway. Uh, my advice to you, if you want to uh, to to share this kind of information, I can tell you what we did. Yeah, we started a WordPress blog. Um, it's the cheapest way for you to be able to begin to communicate, and um, if you want, you can you can upgrade and be and put your own URL yeah onto it 
but that way you can actually do you use Microsoft Word? Uh, yeah, sometimes I do. Yeah. Okay, because you can publish to WordPress directly from Microsoft Word mm -hmm. using the Word. Word has a blog template, so that's what that's what that's what we do because that's the software that we're most familiar with, mm -hmm. and and so we can use all of Word's formatting and uh, grammar and spelling and all that stuff. And then we we can insert all the images and everything in Word. We can when mm -hmm. once we're happy with the uh, the draft, we can publish it to WordPress. Whoops, as a draft. Yeah. And um, and once we do that, we can um, once we do that, we can um, then go into WordPress and then add the tags and mm -hmm. uh, do do some sort of housekeeping stuff. But then it's it's relatively easy. It makes it makes publishing to the web uh, relatively painless and pain free. Yeah. Because it's uh, because we get to use the software that we're that we're most familiar with. But that's that's for our case. But in any case, um, we suggest uh, going with um, a an inexpensive publishing tool or a free publishing yeah. tool to begin with. Because if you're just going to be just describing whatever, you really don't need anything more than a blog. Then that's true, and th this is a process that will take a very long time. So it's not like weekly updates on the, that website. Because yeah, I will only be referring to those uh, experiences that are objective, mm -hmm. and not those that basically kind of makes us wish that we were experiencing such and such uh, things and that it made us feel in certain ways. Uh, but how it's actually like, basically. Right. Okay, well, listen, good luck with that. And keep us up to yeah. date uh, if you make any mm -hmm. progress. And certainly, yeah. if you need any help or other advice, we're, we're available to you to, on that front. Because, I mean, clearly, we've been doing this for... A number of years now and yeah. we have a number of different websites right we have atlas project we have no uses we have peapod life so we have a number of things that we manage and 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 so on so we're familiar with the process so if you have yes, any questions or, or anything like that just just feel free to ask us yeah we need to be very careful when we do such things okay all right yeah. well again Thank you all for coming. We're down to three now. <laughs> so yeah. People want to check out. It's getting late there, I guess. It must be what? It must be what? 11, 12? Yeah, 11 p.m. basically, yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for coming again. And uh, we'll hope to see you next time. Thank you, Azazel. And uh, listen, you. Inverential Peace, have a good evening, yeah? Yeah, same to you. Take care.